It's the DC wash-up. Steph with a fist pump? Yes. <laughs> I was actually just stretching my fingers, but yes. North America correspondent Stephanie March there. Producer Brooke Wiley, did you have any gestures? Just an up-top high-five. High-five. That is Brooke Wiley, and I am producer Roscoe Whalen. Welcome to this episode of the DC Wash-Up, where it feels like we're going back in time because the things we're talking about today seem to be things that popped up a lot during the 2016 election campaign. Donald Trump back on the campaign trail celebrating his 100-day anniversary. Hillary Clinton back on the public stage as well, talking about how she could have won the election. And James Comey the FBI director, inserting himself once more into investigations between the Trump campaign and Russia and Hillary Clinton's emails. Steph, have we heard it all before? I wonder whether this is just going to be like four years of 100-day cycles. (laughs) Um, Rinse, repeat. Have we heard it all before? Yes. Um, And I think it's something we should get used to is incremental developments on the status quo that's been established, particularly when it comes to... Um, the issue of James Comey and the FBI. I don't know if that's what you want to talk about first, but I think... Hey, let's dive in. It's happening right now. So go for it. Yeah, so James Comey, who is the director of the FBI, has been um, lambasted for um, two days days before the... No, uh, three weeks before the election. 11 days. um, 11 days, sorry. Announcing that he was reopening the investigation into... Hillary Clinton's emails, or at least re-examining stuff. That was because they found Anthony Weiner's computer and Hillary Clinton's aide, Huma Aberdeen, had emails on there. Um, And Hillary Clinton yesterday came out um, again saying that she thinks that cost her the election. Um, Two days before the election, he said, we looked at the emails, we didn't find anything. He's appearing today before um, the Oversight Committee in Congress. Um, And I think this is going to be an ongoing thing. And one of the things that a lot of the Democrat members of Congress have been probing is whether there's a double standard there with the fact that he spoke openly uh, to an extent about the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails, which is very, very unprecedented for the FBI, whereas he's remaining mum on whether what's happening regarding an investigation into um, people associated with Donald Trump and their links to Russia. Um, James Comey was pretty passionate today, mm. in a sense. You know, obviously a lot of questions he couldn't answer because it's an open hearing and it's classified. But in relation to his decision, he was really passionate about the decision he had to make. And I think we should take a listen. I've lived my entire career by the tradition that if you can possibly avoid it, you avoid any action in the run-up to an election that might have an impact, whether it's a dog catcher election or president of the United States. But I sat there that morning, and I could not see a door labeled no action here. I could see two doors, and they were both actions. One was labeled speak, the other was labeled conceal. Because here's how I thought about it. I'm not trying to talk you into this, but I want you to know my thinking. Having repeatedly told this Congress, we are done and there's nothing there, there's no case there, there's no case there, to restart in a hugely significant way, potentially finding the emails that would reflect on her intent from the beginning and not speak about it would require an act of concealment, in my view. And so I stared at speak and conceal. Speak would be really bad. There's an election in 11 days. Lordy, that would be really bad. Concealing, in my view, would be catastrophic. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly... It wouldn't change the decision. 
So Comey made the point that he doesn't think that there was a third door. He either had to tell Congress about the fact he was looking at Hillary Clinton again or not tell them. He didn't want to conceal information. He didn't want to impact the election. Um, He says he stands by it. One of the members of Congress did say, well, you did have a third door, and that was to tell people that you were also looking at Donald Trump to sort of level the playing field. And I think that's going to be a criticism that's levelled against Comey in perpetuity. And I think, in a way, he, he... he kind of can't win, but he also can't lose. Democrats hate him because they believe he cost Hillary Clinton the election. Donald Trump just tweeted overnight that he thinks that Comey gave her a free pass by not charging her anyway. Um, Comey claims to not love the spotlight. If you ask me, he's not doing a very good job of um, <laughs> of of that. He's, as you say, a very passionate sort of dramatic performance. I think the other interesting things that have come out of the hearing today, um, Lindsey Graham was asking him whether, you know, there's clear evidence Russia was involved in hacking during the election. He said, yes. Is Russia still involved in US politics? James Comey said, yes, Um, which is something that he then went on to say is essentially one of, you know, Russia's interference and meddling is one of the greatest challenges that governments face today, which is a massive statement, but it's probably true. And it was interesting he was probed on you know, the motivation for Russia hacking, um, you know, the electoral rolls and stuff and the trolling and the troll farms and stuff. And he was saying, um, he was asked whether he, you know, that was done to benefit Trump. And he said, yes, because Putin hates Hillary Clinton. And we also believe that, you know, Russia liked the idea of dealing with a businessman um, as opposed to a traditional politician. He was asked whether um, he thinks Russia targeted Trump because Russia has something over Trump because of his financial investments, blah, blah, blah. And Comey said that he didn't think that was a factor, which I think is quite interesting because that's something that's obviously raised a lot of alarm bells and continues to in the States. He also reconfirmed that the investigation into Donald Trump and his administration's potential links to Russia is ongoing and continues to be ongoing, which is interesting because we haven't heard the R word, Russia, for some time. Um, You know, some would say since the the strike that Donald Trump ordered on Syria, where it kind of showed that maybe he wasn't going to be as friendly with Russia as first thought. This comes just 12, 24 hours after Donald Trump held a phone call with um, President Vladimir Putin of Russia which indicates that they might be trying to meet sometime in July. It hasn't been confirmed that they will meet. That's something that the Kremlin put out there as a possibility. I think the wording was we're open to the... The the leaders are open to the idea of meeting. I think it's in Hamburg, is it, on the sidelines of a meeting? Of the G20. Of the G20, um, which would be a big milestone um, and it would be interesting to see whether Donald Trump ends up walking out of that meeting the way he did after he walked away from his weekend with President Xi of China in Florida, a lot of harsh rhetoric towards towards China prior to that meeting quickly evaporated and it seems like President Xi is his new best friend. Um, and Donald Trump is um, known to be quite charismatic in face-to-face meetings and, you know, um, does listen a lot and change his position. So it would be interesting if the pair did meet face-to-face, whether that could have um, a small or significant shift on the way Donald Trump Trump approaches this relationship. Um, And if they don't meet then, it would be possible that they would meet then later in the year at the UN General Assembly. Um, That's where Obama and Putin met last year, the year before, for the first time in a long time. Um, But it would be, yeah, very interesting, I think, to see whether it changes the approach. But as you say, Roscoe, it would bring Russia back onto the table, which has sort of been sidelined by North Korea for quite some time now. So... Should we mention Hillary Clinton then, who um, seems to be basking this in some respects, but also still on this soul-searching tour 
Um, she was speaking yesterday with Christian Ampour um, just about her experience during the election, things generally, and basically said if the election was held on October 27th, she would be the president today. Fact or fiction? <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think oh, it's so hard to say because of the way that Trump won the Electoral College um, and the way their campaigns... That's actually had... something Comey said. The reason the Russians can't hack America as successfully as mm. they'd like and change vote tallies is because the American Electoral College or scheme is a bit of a hairball, which <laughs> yeah. I think is a perfect <laughs> way to describe it's, it. You'd have to have a very um, concerted strategy and a very uh, well-thought-out plan to <laughs> be able to He did say that they're likely it. to try, though, in 2018 and They'll 2020. they give it a crack, mm. right. Uh, but, yes, Clinton, I think... Uh, Yes, as you said, Roscoe, she sort of claimed that she could have been the president had a series of unfortunate events not unfolded in that final week of the campaign. I'm not convinced if that's the truth, but uh, it's also not the first time that we've heard her, uh, I guess, do a post-mortem on her own campaign. She has been speaking publicly at a number of uh, lower-profile events. In that sense, though, I'm not sure what this really adds to be for her to be continuing this post-mortem. She sort of has said that she wants to come out and be, you know, a warrior and a change agent. She wants to be part of, you know, whatever the opposition is to the, the current setup. Mm. But the, the resistance, she wants to be Leia. However, uh, she's not really doing anything at this stage that I can see to achieve those goals. So I'm not sure what um, her long-term strategy is for being back involved in in the public day-to-day. Uh, -day Steph, some people have been saying it's, you know, refreshing that she's coming out and she's talking about the experience. Others are saying she's a bit of a sore loser to keep bringing this up, to point fingers at Comey. She was a horrible candidate. Get over it. Move on with your life. Is it one or the other or is it a bit of column A, a bit of column B? I think it depends on who you're talking to. I'm sure her supporters, um, disheartened Democrats, may be pleased to see her back. Um, I wonder whether it may end up countering the efforts that Bernie Sanders, the Democrat Party's outreach um, specialist, and, um, and Tom Perez, the new DNC um, What's Tom Perez's role chair? Um, have been going around the country trying to, you know, re-energise the democratic base. Um, so it could go either way. I think personally, I agree with what Obama's former political advisor David Axelrod said. David Axelrod said um, about what Hillary Clinton said yesterday, and that is, Comey didn't tell Clinton to not campaign in Wisconsin. And it takes a lot to lose the election against Donald Trump. Um, hinting that, you know, Hillary Clinton can't absolve herself of responsibility for losing that election. Um, it, it was, you know, to lose against Donald Trump, you know, in some ways, there was there's no way you can get around the fact that there were fundamental flaws with her and her campaign. Um, and I think personally, I think, you know, maybe it would have looked better if she'd taken a bit more responsibility for that. Um, but, you know, she has her views on what went right and what went wrong. I guess the other thing I would say about uh, the Clinton campaign is it's also not Comey's fault that they mishandled classified information in emails. Hmm. It may be Comey's fault to publicly declare that without knowing whether there was anything important in those emails, fine, but ultimately their campaign, as Steph says, is still responsible for the way they managed their own processes. And you really can't get up on stage and say, well, if it was October 27, I would have won the election and I'd be president without 
owning some of the responsibility. I told you this would feel like a 2016. <laughs> <laughs> if you've just tuned in and you think you're on an old episode, you're not. It's just the Groundhog Day that is US politics. So on the theme of Groundhog Days, Donald Trump back to the campaign trail on the weekend to celebrate his 100th day in office. He went to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the state that supposedly delivered him the election, among with others, but he was very thankful to be there. He skipped the White House Correspondents' Dinner to go to this and speak to his people. Steph, was that significant? Does it matter? I mean, was Trump just sticking it up the media? Well, yeah. I mean, not only did he skip it, but he spent the top half of his speech in Harrisburg saying, poor journalists stuck in a stuffy ballroom, um, wishing they were all here with me. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but... It was just typical Trump. It was just, you know, playing to his base, criti- spent a lot of time criticising the media. More um, than usual, I'd say. Yeah, and there were some, you know, clear falsehoods in there. He said, you know, the New York Times is failing and driving people away. The circulation's up. Like, um, But, again, he was just playing to the base um, and it, to some extent, does exemplify that division that exists between Donald Trump and the press. But the more people I talk to in the White House press pool suggest that, the relationship that he has publicly with the press who follow him daily is not quite as... It's more acrimonious in public than it is behind the scenes and that he's actually, you know, it's just a bit of a show and it's him being a showman and playing to his base. And I think maybe that's the way we need to start taking these attacks and fake news and if people stop biting... I mean, yes, it's going to rile up the base and it's going to um, put them in a sort of vacuum of the misinformation that he gives out when he does, um, which could potentially be problematic. But I think the idea of freaking out every time Donald Trump has a go at the media is probably a waste of energy. Yeah, I think uh, he gets as much out of these rallies as his supporters do. In fact, I think he gets more out of these rallies Mm, than his supporters do. I think they're very much, for him, uh, an ego boost that he needs to sort of maintain that momentum. And, you know, over the 100 days period, he was feeling a bit reflective. He sort of lamented the loss of his old life and, you know, how hard it was to be the president and it was much harder than he thought it would be. Mm. And so I sort of think that the timing of this rally was a G up for him as much as it was. Validation. uh, Yeah, yeah, as much as it was an opportunity for him to reconnect with the base. Um, But to Steph's comments and observations about Trump's, like, public versus private relationship with the media, I think that's absolutely true. One thing that happened this week that I was interested in was um, Reince Priebus's comments about um, potentially or, like, even just alluding to the fact that there could be some tinkering with uh, press freedom and uh, Mm. changes to the First Amendment was... when, Trump, when Donald Trump says things like this, you can sort of say, okay, well, this is a, a clear strategy or he is just like saying words and he doesn't really mean them. But when someone like Priebus says those sorts of things, he is a very experienced political operator. He knows what a dog whistle is. He knows when he is making a suggestion that uh, is designed to get, you know, some sort of feedback on to determine whether or not it's something they could pursue. Like He knows very much what he's doing, and I thought that that was quite revealing. Yeah, I, I think like this um, mm. this delicate dance between Trump and the media is fascinating because as well, I mean, the rally itself on the weekend was um, paid for by the Trump campaign. They've since released an ad this week, the Trump campaign, talking about the success of the 100 days. And within that ad, they take a jab at the fake news. CNN then refused to run the ad because mm. it contained falsehoods, to which the Trump administration 
replied or the campaign replied to say they are fake news and this is the epitome of fake news because they're not running our ad that contains fake news. So even if they have an okay relationship behind closed doors, the public warfare between the two is But all that does horrific. is make his base pleased and um, not watch con- CNN and continue <laughs> and continue to think that he is this anti-establishment outsider and he went to Harrisburg and railed against the Washington Swamp and Congress and the people that he's trying to work with to get all this stuff done and I think again it's important to look at what he's actually doing and what he's saying and if he hasn't passed a piece of legislation that's particularly meaningful in his first hundred days um, he's wound back on you know criticizing China he's um, wound back on changes to Obamacare he's wound back on um, abolishing NAFTA. So he's actually morphing into a more traditional Republican president. So he kind of needs to keep feeding the base and say, no, 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 I'm the the blow things up guy that you um, that you elected. And a great way to do that is to say that the media is against me and look at us, we're winning, aren't we a great little team? Um, and I think that, you know, going forward is the pulse. The pulse of the base is what, you know, if I was a democratic democratic Democrat strategist, I would be wanting to see how you could create cracks in that when he's putting a lot of effort into maintaining the veneer um, of what he was elected on whilst doing different things in reality. So while warfare continues there, there will be some reconciliation this week when Donald Trump meets Malcolm Turnbull. This will be happening tomorrow, so some of you who listen to this podcast might have already seen the meeting, but we will still try to look into the crystal ball here and (laughs) predict what might happen, and then we can at least only have 24 hours to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Right or wrong. Horribly wrong. So, (laughs) Steph, Brooke, we had the worst call ever back in January. Mm -hmm. Will we have the worst meeting ever tomorrow? No, (laughs) I don't think we'll have the worst meeting ever just because I feel like everyone kind of came out of the Trumbull call saga a little bit bruised, including Trump and the Republicans. Uh, And I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, you know, how how they underestimated the support for Australia and the alliance between Australia and the US and how that played so badly among the Republicans. So I think that everyone will be on a healing journey rather than an antagonising journey. Uh, And I think that, you know, Prime Minister Turnbull, his team, they're not dumb. They know this is an opportunity for them to, you know, build bridges and say, hey, look, let's just put all that behind us now and focus on the areas where... We do have shared goals and we do have a shared concern. You know, one of those areas is obviously North Korea. Another one of those areas is going to be China. You know, there's lots of areas of mutual um, concern rather than this little sideline refugee deal that honestly Trump's probably forgotten about by this point. (laughs) Steph, will they be able to get past it, though, the the bad phone call? Or will that be a focus of this, this meeting? I It will definitely be a focus and everyone will be watching that handshake and all the interactions that they have in front of the cameras, um, particularly the US media, because that's the thing that they think about first and foremost is that phone call. Um, And, you know, Trump's had some awkward meetings with the Justin Trudeau handshake where Trudeau kind of, you know, said, no, I'm not, not 
you know, going to be strong armed by you and did his own strongman version. And the Merkel, I didn't hear her, she asked for a handshake, lack of handshake. Like, it, it can easily get awkward in front of the cameras. But that's why um, I think it can't get any worse, right? Is because he's already stuffed those. No, up. but, the, but no, like... no, no, but I think the stakes are a lot higher because everyone will think these two are coming together in a, you know, not not unacrimonious sort of way. So the stakes are higher. And, you know, a lot of people have said they're not dissimilar characters. They're both businessmen. They're both independently wealthy. Um, You know, they're both very smart, um, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's true. But what was, you know, exemplified in the phone call is they're both quite stubborn as well. Um, And I just think it'll be interesting to see perhaps not so much about the actual, you know, shots of them meeting. I'm confident they'll probably be able to get through that without any disasters. But the actual meeting itself, I think, is really high stakes because they're going to be talking a lot about North Korea, which is something that's only really risen to the top of the pile recently, um, and Australia's unique position in Asia. They're going to be talking about the South China Sea, which the Trump administration hasn't really formulated much of a policy on that we know about yet. Um, So whether Donald Trump's going to be looking to Malcolm Turnbull for advice on some of these things, um, whether he's going to be asking for things. And I think it's going to be really careful for Malcolm Turnbull to not lecture the president, but also share insights of Australia's position um, and for them to make it a real equal sharing of information. Um, And, you know, everyone is always dwarfed by the president of the United States, no matter what world leader you are and who the president of the United States is. so it's like it's it's really high stakes. I don't think it can be underestimated how, you know, important it really is, even though it's a routine, seemingly routine thing. Exciting stuff, huh? The only thing I was going to say before we end this wonderful podcast is I really think we should all keep an eye on just listening to Comey before. I think WikiLeaks is about to become, um, speaking of, you know, turning the clock back, is about to rear its ugly head again. I wouldn't be surprised if charges are laid against Assange sometime in the near future and that's going to be a big old storm in a teacup. and. It's going to be huge and it's going to raise a lot of questions, Brooke, to the point you mentioned before about press freedom um, Mm. in America and across the world Mm. um, and, you know, the handling of classified information by journalists and stuff. So I think we should all keep our eyes open for that. Brooke, do you have anything you want to add before we wrap it up? Uh, No. <laughs> uh, That's just, enough for Just today. a very brief public service announcement as well. You'll note that Connor Duffy is not here today, not to go with the theme of the flashback to 2016 podcast when he was Ooh. not here, and not not because he's being censored for his you know criticism of the podcast last week. We're not like that. We're a welcoming bunch. Connor Duffy is welcome on the podcast anytime. <laughs> If he's brave enough. You know he doesn't listen to it when he's not on it. He's not going to get this message. (laughs) Open the door and I'll yell at you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week.